We've been asking this question, what is God really like? And last week, as we've been considering the attributes of God, we looked at the fact that God is glorious and that that glory is this outward effect of His, as, as many biblical scholars like to call it, manifold perfections. This morning, we'll be reflecting on God's attribute of oneness, oneness, and this is much more complex than it sounds. Uh, it's a, in fact, it's, it's another aspect of God's incomprehensibility. How many syllables is that? Incomprehensibility. Wow. Incomprehensibility. Eight syllables. Not that I should be proud of myself, but that was a mouthful. Incomprehensibility. And the reason that it's another aspect of God's incomprehensibility is that as we get this picture of God unfolding throughout scriptures, we, we see that the truth of God's oneness unfolds to the point that we see that this one God is a triune God. And as we attempt, and I, I just want to encourage as we attempt to engage this reality that we'll talk about this morning with words and reason, uh, with minds and spirit, we must at the same time kind of surrender to its inscrutability, its, its inability to be searched fully. Uh, A.W. Tozer, who I've quoted a lot, and I will quote through this, this message, a uh, great book, The Knowledge of the Holy. If, if you pick it up, it's not real big, but it's, it's meaty. Uh, he says that too often when we approach such kind of unfathomable truths, he says, we cover our deep ignorance with words, but we are ashamed to wonder. We are afraid to whisper mystery. <laughs> we are afraid to whisper mystery. So my goal today is not to explain unto complete comprehension, and I've tried to make that clear all the way through, that God is infinite, <laughs> which means he's not completely searchable to finite beings. But my goal, rather, is invite it, to invite us to grasp the truths that we'll go through to the point of awe, to the point of worship, of bowing down before the Lord, to the point of faith, to the point of obedience, to that which is infinitely beyond us. So I want to read just a couple of verses that are really well known. Actually, this was part of something that was recited throughout ancient history in, 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 with the Jews, uh, part of something that a pious Jew would recite every day, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I'm just going to read verses 4 and 5. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, and you can see that's capitalized, this great I am, Yahweh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. So like I said, that's a, that's a really pivotal tenet of Christianity, and it, as it was, a very pivotal tenet to Judaism. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Have you ever considered why God would specify this? Why, that he, why he would emphasize that he is one? I mean, it seems to me that it would be a really odd thing for me to introduce myself that way. Hi, my name is Randy Martin. Randy Martin, I am one. It's weird, right? Like people would say, that's strange. They would look at me as strange, maybe think about what mental problems I have. Hi, I'm Randy Martin. I am one. So why would God do it? Why would God need to say, way back in Deuteronomy 6, 4, I am one? Right. Right. So what Pat says is, she, she's, she says, other cultures worshipped multiple gods. Do we still see that in today? Yeah, sure we do. So at, at very least, for starters, we can say that, that God is pushing back against something that was very prevalent in the world and is still very prevalent in the world that, that we might call polytheism, this idea that there are many gods or many deities. And what he's doing within, within this context of a world that so often believes in many gods is he's calling his people of faith to monotheism. This idea that there is only one God to be worshipped, only one true God, really, that is the, the author, creator, and sustainer of all things, that all other gods are frauds, and that he alone is that one true God. As we said, this truth is as essential today as it ever was. God is not one of many, nor is he one God to be known in many different religious contexts simply by a different name. He is singular, one God of one faith, to be known as he has revealed himself to be through creation, through his word, through his son Jesus, and through his Holy Spirit. So, where his oneness now gets a little more complicated is that there's this other quality of God that is equally true. And at first glance seems to contradict this concept of oneness. And it's where we enter into what theologians call Trinity. Trinity. This three-in-oneness of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But what is Trinity? What is Trinity? So go ahead, Alex. I need you to stand up real quick. I'll take TJ too, real quick. Just sorry, I want to be. So is it? So I kind of had this image. I'm thinking, what is Trinity? Now, now you guys got to lock arms. No, go ahead. No, go like now. You guys lock arms. Go ahead. All right. So you know, we, is this is this Trinity, right? Yeah, kind of, sort of, but this is a little limiting, right? Like, where, how, do we, how do we move? Where, which way do we go? You know, he's, he's going to be pulling me. I'm going to be pulling him. Is this Trinity? Three in one? All right, you can sit. Thank you. There, there's different ways. There's just different analogies we've used to discuss Trinity. We say, oh, look at the, the three-leaf clover, right? There's three, three cloves, and it's one plant. 
Or we say, look at the egg, right? The, the egg, it has, it's, it's made up of the shell and the, well, hard-boiled, right? You got to hard-boil that, that guy. The egg and, uh, is the shell and the white and the yolk. Or, or look at H2O. It, it's, it's, it's all H2O, but it can, it can come in three different forms. It could, be, it could be a solid, it could be a liquid, it could be a gas. But, but even as we say those things, we, we kind of feel like, ah, oh, that's Trinity? An egg? <laughs> a, a, a little clover? That, you know, I, and it's like these, and I get it, it's helpful. It is helpful, but our attempts at it, everything we just, even as it rolls off the tongue, you say, oh, really? I'm explaining God as an egg or a leaf or H2O? It seems to fall so short. You won't find the word Trinity in Scripture. So it's not, I'll lay it right out there, it's not a scriptural word, but it's a scriptural context, uh, a concept. It's a word that has been created to explain a truth about God and a truth that becomes clearer and clearer as God's revelation is laid out throughout Scripture and throughout the narrative as he walks with his people, both Old Testament and New Testament. The word basically means triunity. If you can think of it that way, try unity. It's this kind of perfect unity of three. Now, it's, it's generally understood as a concept that comes out in, very, in much sharper focus in the New Testament. But do we have glimpses of it in the Old Testament? We, we really do. We really do. And, and, and again, for time's sake, I don't have time to go into detail of all those things. But, you know, really, at, just at creation where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless, right? But, but you have, as God is creating this, this earth and it's formless, you have the Spirit of God hovering over the waters, and then as God creates all that he creates and then finally comes to man who he's going to create as, the, in a sense, the pinnacle of his creation because he's going to create it in his likeness, he speaks amongst himself right here in the beginning of Genesis and he says, let us make man in our image in our likeness. So right from the beginning of Genesis, you get this, this hint, this glimpse like, wow, God is speaking amongst himself. We may very well see it expressed in the Old Testament appearances of the angel of the Lord, and that's a really interesting concept. You know, Moses had the angel of the Lord. These three guys came to him, and how do you explain what's going on there? And, and there's other instances of the angel of the Lord, and then it'll say that they saw the Lord. Or is, is this idea of God, in a sense, being singular and plural at the same time? Is it hinted at in these things? We, we have in the Old Testament, when it talks about God's word, it's often spoken not simply as kind of this intellectual expression on paper, but it's spoken of as an extension of himself. As if, as if it's, 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 it's God going out in his word. You say, well, then, is it any surprise to us that when, when the Apostle John introduces Jesus, the Son of God, in the beginning of his gospel, he says, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos of God. 
Might we also see it in the fact that God emphasizes way back in Deuteronomy that he is one. He's certainly saying that I'm the only one and true God. All other gods are frauds. But is he hinting at the, the, this, this concept that would unfold bit by bit through Scripture that his oneness is a unity of three? <laughs> now, if you've, been in the, if you've grown up in the church or you've been in the church for a while, it's really easy to take the Trinity for granted, the complexities of the Trinity for, the, for granted. I mean, although if you really strain your brain, you just kind of think it, it sounds like bad math, you know? <laughs> three and one, one, one equals three, one, three equals one. God is Father, God is Son, God is Holy Spirit. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each is God, they are together our God. The Father sends the Son. The Son in turn sends the Holy Spirit to the church. Each bears witness and brings glory to the other. Each has their own distinct role and, and traits, yet, yet what is true for the whole is true for each one. And what is true for each one is true for the whole. Again, Tozer says it is important that we think of God as trinity and unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. So one thing that's super important to remember when we embrace the doctrine of the trinity is that with it we're embracing, and it's a, it's a doctrine that is uh, rejected <coughs> by all kinds of other religions, we're embracing this three-in-oneness of God, and in that, we're embracing the deity of the man that walked the earth, a very real man that walked the earth named Jesus. And we're acknowledging that Jesus is nothing less than God. That's part of embracing the Trinity. At his trial, his trial, which was really a mockery of a trial... The high priest says to Jesus, he says, I charge you under oath by the living God. You, you sense that he's getting fired up at this point. I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, R.T. France here comments, for a Jew, son of meant having the same nature as which really only makes sense. And Jesus replies, yes, it is as you say. One of the Gospels actually has him saying, anybody know? I am. I am. And at this, a frenzy broke out. Jesus is, big, uh, Jesus is spit on and beat and slapped and the high priest tears his clothes showing what great dismay he's in and says, he has spoken blasphemy because they knew what he was saying. One of the main reasons that Jesus so incensed the religious leaders of this day is that he clearly claimed equality with God the Father. Not arrogantly, I mean, if you can claim equality with God humbly, that's exactly what Jesus did. Much to their chagrin, he accepted worship. Tell them to stop. Tell them to stop. 
Hey, if they stop, the stones are going to cry out. Only God can receive worship. He forgave sins. I mean, like, a person's sins, not just like, you've wronged me, but all their sins. And they're like, who can forgive sins but God alone? On one occasion, and I, I love this, I love this exchange. On one occasion, Jesus is speaking to uh, some folks, and he starts talking about Abraham. And, he, and the way he's talking about Abraham, he makes it like Abraham has seen him. And then you kind of turn that around and you say, well, you knew Abraham? He lived a really long time ago. So someone actually challenges him on that. They're like, you know, you're not even 50. You're not even 50 years old. He was probably in his early 30s. And you have seen Abraham? Like they were scoffing. That's, that's laughable. And then he says, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born, what? I am. And again, we're going to kill you. They picked up stones to kill him in that moment because they knew what he was saying. He was proclaiming equality with God. It is a risen Jesus that, that Thomas cried out, My Lord and my God. In Jesus, we don't see another God. We, we don't see a God as a God removed from the Old Testament. We see the one true God. We see uh, the one who always was and always is and always will be. I love this. Again, this is R.T. France. He, he, he writes, speaking of those who walked with Jesus, and I think this is really important. He says, what they saw in Jesus, what they saw was not some brand new God, still hot from the fire in which he was shaped, but the familiar form of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of the Exodus and the exile, the God of the Old Testament, they saw the same dynamic, irresistible God as holy, pure, and powerful as ever, and as deeply concerned and active in the lives of his people. They weren't seeing a new God, <laughs> they weren't seeing an additional God. They were seeing the God that always was, and always is, and always shall be. Jesus said, I and, the, I and the Father are one. Later he says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. But it's also interesting, there's another point in John 14 where Jesus calls the Father greater than he. So what's going on there? Are you equal? Is he greater? Here Tozer quotes the Athanas Athanasian Creed. Malabi, did I say that right? Athanasian, Athanasian Creed. He says, it, it, it quotes, equal to his father as regards divinity, less than his father as regards humanity. In other words, Jesus could rightly say that he is both equal and less than the father because he's equal to him as God, but as he put on his humanity, he considered himself a servant. 
This is what Paul attests to when we read in Philippians 2, that Jesus was in very nature God, but did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held onto, we could say, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as man. Now, does this mean that the incarnate Jesus is any less than God? <laughs> start to, this is where our minds start to do like, you know, mental gymnastics. Hebrews 1.3 says the, the Son, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Again, Tozer, he says, in his incarnation, the Son veiled his deity, but he did not void it. The unity of the Godhead made it impossible that he should surrender anything of his deity. And then a little later he says, God can never become less than himself. The Holy Spirit is also equally spoken of as God. He's referred many times over as the Spirit of God. When, an, when uh, Ananias lied to Peter, if you remember that exchange in in Acts chapter 5, and they had sold some property, and they made it like they were bringing all the money, and they only brought half the money, and, and Peter challenges him on this. He, Peter says to Ananias, you have lied to the Holy Spirit, and then a few sentences later he says, you have lied not to men, but to who? But to God. Paul teaches that through the Holy Spirit, God indwells the believer. 1 Corinthians 3.16, he asked, Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Yet even as we process these truths, we're kind, of, we're kind of tempted to begin to distinguish one too sharply from the other. We call them persons of the Godhead because we don't have any other, you know, any other good word to use it because there's, there's will and reason and emotion and so the persons of the Godhead, but we realize that doesn't quite cut it, and, and we're tempted to kind of distinguish them separately as persons, and as if they can work independently from one another. But yet the Trinity does all things together. They can, in one sense, act distinctly, but in reality, they never do anything that is removed or detached from perfect unity with the others. It's interesting, through Scripture, when you, when you look at who, who formed the world, who formed the stars, who created. In Scripture, you can find verses that say the Father is the author of creation. In Scripture, you can find verses that, they, that say Jesus is the author of creation. In Scripture, you can find places that say the Holy Spirit is the author of creation. It's like, yes, yes, and Yes. We see all three at work in the birth of Jesus. We see all three at work in the baptism of Jesus. We see all three at work in the resurrection of Jesus. Our atonement and salvation are accredited to each. 1 Peter 1.2, he says, To God's elect who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ in the sprinkling of His blood. We're rightly told that the Holy Spirit, like we said, for when you come into faith with Jesus, that you are sealed, you're marked 
by God, with the Holy Spirit that guarantees your inheritance to come. But over and over, we're also told that the work of God is about Christ in you. And Jesus at one time says that, that uh, he, he says in, um, do I have it written down? It might be in John 14. He says that the Father and the Son are coming to make their home with those who believe and obey and love him. When Jesus gave what we refer to as the Great Commission, he instructed that new disciples are to be baptized into the name, singular, into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Or consider prayer. Jesus said, pray to the Father, but pray in my name. And pray by the power and with the help of the Holy Spirit. But we also, not to throw any of you off, we look at Stephen when he's about to die, when he's stoned, he prayed, Lord Jesus. <laughs> we can't be separated. Gregory Nazian Zen, it's the best I can do, says, No sooner do I conceive of the one that I am illuminated by the splendor of the three. No sooner do I distinguish them than I am carried back to the one. When I think of any of the three, I think of them as, a, as the whole, and my eyes are filled. And the greater part of what I am thinking escapes me. I cannot grasp of that one so as to attribute a great, greater greatness to the rest. When I contemplate the three together, I see but one torch and cannot divide or measure out the undivided light. It's put powerfully in this Athanasian, Athanasian, Athanasian creed. Come on, Derek, you got to help me. He says, it says, we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person. The person of the Son is another and that of the Holy Spirit still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy, and Holy Spirit is one, their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. What quality the Father has, the Son has, and the Holy Spirit has. The Father is uncreated, the Son is uncreated, the Holy Spirit is uncreated. The Father is immeasurable, the Son is immeasurable, the Holy Spirit is immeasurable. The Father is eternal, the Son is eternal, the Holy Spirit is eternal. And yet there are not three eternal beings, there is but one eternal being. So too there are not three uncreated and immeasurable beings, there is but one uncreated and immeasurable being. Similarly, the Father is almighty, the Son is almighty, the Holy Spirit is almighty. Yet they are not three almighty beings, there is but one almighty being. Thus the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Yet there are not three gods, but there is one, but one God. Thus the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is Lord. Yet there are not three lords, there is but one Lord. 
Just as Christian truth compels us to confess each person individually as both God and Lord, so Catholic religion, and a note, Catholic is small c, it's talking about the universal church, all times, all places. So Catholic religion forbids us to say that there, is, that there are three gods and lords. The Father was neither made nor created nor begotten from anyone. The Son was neither made nor created. He was begotten from the Father alone. The Holy Spirit was neither made nor created nor begotten. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. Accordingly, there is one Father, not three fathers. There is one Son, not three sons. There is one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. Nothing in the Trinity is before or after. Nothing is greater or smaller. In their entirety, the three persons are co-eternal, co-equal with each other. So in everything, as we said earlier, we must worship their Trinity in their unity and their unity in their Trinity. So this Trinity is this highest point, this inseparable harmony that reflects what we might say is the pinnacle of intimacy, the pinnacle of community. God is community within himself. And really, if again he is all-sufficient within himself, he needs no other community. (laughs) He has all that he needs within himself. Yet what if you were invited in to that community? Isn't it exciting to be invited in? (laughs) I remember when I was a a punk teenager rather than a punk middle-aged guy meeting this other teenage girl named Cheryl. I remember this. Yeah, woo-hoo. And I was, you know, like we met and I was invited in to sit next to her. And this was thrilling, you know. Like I was, I was invited in to get to know her. Wow. I still say wow. And then just a handful of years later, we invite one another in. And we enter into the covenant of marriage together. How thrilling to be invited into that kind of intimacy. Some of us saw that yesterday with, with Brianna and Scott Kelly as they were invited and entered into the covenant promise of marriage together. To have that kind of closeness with another person. What if God would invite us in to his community, to intimacy and community with him, That's the marvel, that he would make a way for that to happen, that through Jesus Christ and my faith in him and his sacrifice on the cross for, for my sins, that he has made a way for me to enter in, that the veil in the temple that marked this separation would be torn from the top to the bottom, torn in two, that I can enter in and commune with God. What a marvel. That God would be so intimate with me that he would, he, he would even take up residence within me in the Holy Spirit. That this would be the only place that I would find light and life. That this would be the only place that I would find peace and security, meaning and purpose. That here I find the fulfillment, the deepest fulfillment to what's spoken in Deuteronomy 6 four and five, that the Lord is one and that I can enter in to love the Lord my God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. 
This is the blessed unity that's meant to be reflected amongst the church. <laughs> Read John 17, 20 through 23, as the Lord prays for we who would come to faith. That as they are together in unity, that we would be in unity with them, and that we would be in unity together. And by our unity together, it would be so unlike anything else the world has seen that others would say, ah, I see the truth of who Jesus is. And that we would welcome others into that community. That we would obey what Jesus commanded, that we would therefore go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That command isn't just for evangelists. That command isn't just for pastors or missionaries. It's for everyone who has entered in to this blessed unity with the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there found life eternal. I'll conclude with this tiny little quote from Frederick Faber. O blessed Trinity, O simplest majesty, O three in one, thou art forever God alone, holy Trinity, blessed equal three, one God, we praise thee.